Well, that's a blessing. I enjoy that song. That's the uh, group that voiced the melody, traveled with my wife and I, uh, with my wife and me last summer, and uh, 13,000 miles or so. We were in many of your churches, or quite a few of them anyhow, and uh, yeah, it's a blessing to be here. Let me get my wife to stand. She's back in the back there, and uh, appreciate her. We've been traveling together 47 years. It'll be in August, and uh, appreciate her. We got married. She was about, uh, what, negative six or something like that, and because uh, she's still just turned 40 and a couple hundred months after that. Uh, but anyhow, uh, it's a blessing to be here. I appreciate you coming. Appreciate, uh, you know, every, uh, it's just a blessing. If you can't get excited about the fact your sins are under the blood, and, uh, you know, I know what I've done. You know what you've done. I mean, one of the most exciting things about heaven is that I'll be rid of my sin. And, uh, you know, I, I won't, I'll be able, we'll still serve God. His servant shall serve him there in heaven. But I'll be able to do it perfectly there instead of imperfectly here. Uh, turn your Bible, if you would, uh, go in a different direction. said I was going to talk about standards and that kind of thing today, and, uh, and I am. And I'm going to preach, teach a little bit, use our Bible, uh, have you looking in your Bible more than you did last night. Second uh, Corinthians used a lot of Scripture last night, and most of it I quoted. Uh, but anyhow, Second Corinthians chapter 4. I want to talk, teach, preach this morning. What is a fundamentalist? There's a National Young Fundamentalist Conference. What is a fundamentalist? It would be a good thing to have clear in our mind. And I uh, thought I'd use as a text a uh, place to get started again. I intend to use a lot of Scripture today. Uh, for 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, be, not, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What, and what conquered hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Heavenly Father, thank you for... Uh, the opportunity to be here today, the opportunity to preach your word. Thank you for these young people and sponsors that have come from all over the country. Holy Spirit, guide my mind and speak to hearts as I speak to ears. Thank you for the word of God and the clear instruction that it gives us in so many areas. Help us to follow it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And, uh, you know, what is a fundamentalist? You know, somebody would say, well, you know, fundamentalist, uh, you go back to the fundamentals. It's a common definition, you know, people like to say, well, you know, fundamentalist, that's somebody who believes the fundamentals of the faith. And uh, certainly if you're going to be a fundamentalist, you have to believe the fundamentals of the faith. But I think if, as we use the word today, or at least as we talk about it, you say, oh, he's a fundamentalist. Uh, there's some, some aggressiveness about it. Somebody that's not shy. I mean, he believes the fundamentals of the faith, but he isn't shy about it either. You know, there's one crowd that kind of, I mean, they believe certainly fundamentals of the faith and they kind of believe but but they're kind of shy about it don't seem to want to let anybody know what they believe and uh, don't want to be aggressive about it but if you're a fundamentalist uh, you're not shy about it you're openly stating and promoting what you believe and uh, and doing it 
Somebody, what fundamentals of faith? Somebody listed those, something like, and you get slightly different lists, but basically, uh, somebody will say, well, you believe, if you believe the fundamentals of the faith, that'd be the, uh, inspiration of the Bible. Of course, half of them want to go back and say, well, that, of course, that's the original. We don't have any accurate copies anymore, but, but anyhow, they believe in the inspiration, you know, if you're going to be a fundamentalist, one of the fundamentals of the faith, you certainly have to believe in a divinely inspired, uh, verbally inspired plenary, uh, word of God. Uh, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the blood atonement, the vicarious death, the bodily resurrection, and uh, you know a lot of different books, whatever, would define those as the fundamentals of faith. And obviously, if you're going to be a fundamentalist, you have to believe, you can be a Christian, you pretty much have to believe those things. As far as that goes, if you ask a lot of Catholics, they'd say, oh, I believe that. Right? I mean, you ask a lot of Catholics, do you believe God inspired the Bible? Sure. You believe in the deity of Christ, virgin birth, vicarious death, blood, bodily resurrection. Uh, some of it they, you know, get a little bit different, and so they add to, and so on. But they'd say, "Yeah, I believe that." And you're going to be a fundamentalist today. It takes more than believing those doctrines. I mean, sir, again, you have to believe that. But if I'm going to be a fundamentalist, then I'm, <clears throat> I've got to have some kind of little bit of an aggressiveness in me, and some kind of openly promoting and stating. <coughs> Brother Hiles, uh, I guess I'll try it. You say that it's, you know, if you're going to be a fundamentalist, you've not only got to believe the fundamentals, you've got to separate from those that don't. Part of being a, a fundamentalist involves separation. And again, there's another crowd that uh, wants to, that says, well, we believe about the same thing as you do, but they're kind of shy about it. You know, you get in some place, what's the purpose of the church? Well, I per- preached some on that last night, purpose of Christian life. I'm supposed to get people saved, get them in church, teach them the Word of God, and teach them to go out and get more people saved. Why would you start a church someplace? Because people are dying on their way to hell and they need to get saved. You read some uh, other, uh, you know, I mean, evangelical type churches, and, and what do they say? What purpose of your church? Well, we're trying to bring the message of Christ to our community. Well, I, I agree with that. As far as that goes, so do the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Catholics, and everybody else. So why don't you just say we're trying to get people saved? Well, because that might offend somebody. You know, that'd make us different. There'd be a separation there. You mean everybody has to get saved? Yep. I mean, purpose of the church is get people saved and teach them to go out and get more people saved. Uh, you know, uh, what about the condition of man? You're a fundamentalist. Everybody's lost and saved. They're going to heaven forever or hell forever. It's all there is to it. You see some of the folks that, you know, you think, man, I, I think he's a Christian and a Bible believer. And they're going to ask on some television show a question like that. And, well, you know, we just want to leave it all in God's hands. And I, you know, why would they give an answer like that? Don't they know? Well, I don't want to offend anybody. Look, the gospel's offensive to some people. The gospel separates. You know, the Bible makes a difference. And my goal, I mean, you know, I try and get along with saved and unsaved. I, I think I'm a wonderful, pleasant person. My wife thinks that most of the time, you know, once in a while. I get a little unpleasant, I guess. But I try and get along with people. I'm not trying to be aggravating. But I've got to, if I'm going to be a fundamentalist, I've got to speak the truth. 
I mean, it just takes more than saying, well, I believe those doctrines. You're going to be a fundamentalist. I I identified three things. I want to talk about scripture and soul winning and standards. You're a fundamentalist today. You, You believe that when I believe when I pick up a copy of my King James Bible that I have in my hand, the inspired, infallible word of God. I mean, if God inspired the originals and that's all we've got, and we don't have any copies, I mean, what do we have? I mean, there's just, I'm glad, I, I, I'm going to stick my King James Bible. My old mother used to say, handed me a King James Bible when I was a lad. She said, son, this is a divinely inspired word of God. Every word in it's true. Believe it. Follow it. Build your life around it. Say, Brother Jordan, that's a pretty simple way to look at it. Well, I've gotten older, I've studied Hebrew, I've taught Greek, studied the Bible a lot. You know what? My mama was right. Oh, stick with my King James Bible. I believe it's a divinely inspired and you know the This is it. Talking about secondary inspiration. But God preserved his word. I'm not talking about secondary inspiration, but God preserved his word. I have a copy of it. And I'm going to stick with my King James Bible. If you want to be a fundamentalist, you're going to stand with your King James Bible. You want to be a fundamentalist, you're going to stand for soul winning. And uh, I don't know, there's one crowd, well, we kind of want people to get saved. And I'm glad for everybody gets saved. You know what I mean? The only way anybody ever gets saved is by grace through faith. The blood of Christ that died for our sins. But, I, you know, if you... They want, you know, the crowd, well, you kind of come along and follow us and we'll go to Starbucks several times. And I, I kind of wish, you know, that maybe you taught we ought to go to Starbucks several times before we witness, especially if the church would pay for it, because I like going to Starbucks. <laughs> or Krispy Kreme donuts, you know, I like that too, you know. But. And if they get saved after they've been to Starbucks a half a dozen times and Krispy Kreme a few and so on, I'm glad they got saved. But according to the Bible, it doesn't take... I mean, I believe in soul winning. And, uh, you know, I'm a fundamentalist. I think my purpose in life is to win people to Christ and, and uh, not hope that somehow through the influence of my life and as they see my... I mean, I don't know, I guess I ought to go give my neighbors tracts and try and get them saved. Not just that they will see me driving out of the back, backing out of the garage every Sunday morning and say, I wonder where he's going. Every Sunday, maybe he's going to church, wonder where he goes. And, uh, but if you get had the story he used to tell, and it, you know, that, uh, you know, they'd see you backing out of the garage every day, going out of the driveway Sunday morning, about nine o'clock or so, and they say, there they go. Sunday night about six o'clock, there they go. Wednesday night, six thirty or so, there they go. Next Sunday morning, there they go. One day they'll hear the trumpet sound and say, there they go. But, you know, I'd have Try and win my neighbors to Christ and give them a track and buy them church and let them say, well, they'd think I was different if they knew I, I am different. 
I'm not a part of the world. I'm a Christian. I'm trying to live a Christian life. I don't want to live a godless, worldly life. Hey, I believe in soul winning. Somebody says, well, I don't know. You don't really win them. I don't like that term. Well, you argue with God then, because he said in Proverbs 11.30, he that winneth souls is wise. I guess maybe that's a Bible term. Somebody says, well, you know, First uh, Corinthians 9.22, Paul says, I'm become all things to all men, that by all means I might save some. Somebody says, oh, Paul, you got to correct. God inspired it. I guess it's okay. I mean, I believe in soul winning. And, uh, you know, that, that's our purpose in life. And as I preached last night, I mean, you know, it's, there's more to, if I'm going to serve God, I got to do something for Him. You know, if I'm going to serve, if you're a server in a restaurant, I mean, you, you better take the order, bring the food, fill the water. I mean, I'm glad if you got, but anyhow, if I'm going to be a servant of God, you ought to do it. How long did Jesus take to lead Nicodemus to Christ? Now, you can read that real slowly, but it doesn't take an hour. How long did he spend with the woman at the well? I mean, you know, you, again, you read that real slowly, it doesn't take, and he probably was with her, and there's probably things that were said that aren't recorded, but it didn't take three weeks. You know, I mean, why can't I go to a door? And, you know, people you witness to here in America, I mean, pretty much they believe in God, in one God, the whole Father, Son, Holy Ghost. They know they've heard all their life Jesus died on the cross. It's a matter of getting to understand the, the effect of that death and how that relates to them and realizing that their good works is not going to get them to heaven. The only thing that's going to get them to heaven is trusting Christ. Remember Dr. Lee Robertson saying to us one Saturday morning in a bus meeting. He used to meet with the bus captains and workers when I was there and worked in the bus ministry a couple years down there. One with my wife, we started a bus route. And saying, fellas, when you go out on your bus route today and you witness to people, the biggest thing, biggest obstacle you're going to have in getting people saved is getting them to understand that it's not what they do that gets them to heaven. It's what Christ already did and they have to trust Him. Most people want to get to heaven by trying to earn it. So you explain that to them, give them some scripture, they can get saved. I mean, it's, it's simple. You know, you go out, you have a big soul winning day. Brother Fisher, we have a big soul winning day in the fall every year at the college. Each one reach one. We try and have, the goal is to have everybody in the faculty, staff, student body have at least one person saved on the same Saturday in September. We've never hit that goal, but we come a lot closer than we would if we didn't try. Last year, I think we had 176, 174 different people at least record that they led somebody to Christ on that day. 375 or something got saved. We got names and counts turned in. Somebody say, well, how many of those really got saved? You know the answer to that? Everyone that believed. You witness to five, you witness to one person and, and he prays and trusts Christ and, well, did he really get saved? If he believed he did. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe all three, probably all 375, maybe didn't. I mean, we try and explain it, I mean, but it doesn't take an hour. 
And maybe you go to another country, or you go over some, got a friend starting churches in Vietnam, you go over there, it probably takes you more than 10 minutes. But here, anyhow, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, that, that's simple. You're going to be a fundamentalist. You've got to be, a, be right on the Scripture. You've got to be a soul winner, and you've got to have standards. There's got to be separation involved. I'm going to, if I'm going to serve God with my life, I must separate from things that would keep me from that. I mean, if my purpose in life is to serve God with my life, then I've got to, some things I can't do. I've got to separate from things that are going to keep me from that. You know, I mean... You're going to be a world-class athlete. There's a lot of stuff you can't do. Some of it, because, I mean, it keep you from being a world-class athlete. Some of it will hurt your body and mess up your body. Other parts of it, it just isn't time, because you got to spend time in the weight room. you got to spend time in the practice court, your field. you got to be, there's, I, I can't do that. I've got to. I'm going to have to separate from things that are going to keep me from serving God. I get tired sometimes of people saying, well, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with this? Why don't we ask, is this going to help me serve God better or not? There's some, you know, preaching, teaching along one day in class. I said, you know, I can't find a Bible verse that says I shouldn't cut off my right hand. Brother Dallas, prove to me I shouldn't cut out of the Bible. Show me I can't cut, shouldn't cut off my right hand. Where in the Bible does it say I can't cut off my right hand? I don't think there is one. If I doubt any of you are going to do it, I'm not going to cut off mine. You can't cut off mine. Because it would ruin my quality of life and make me less able to serve God. I think I can serve God better with two hands than I could with one. I just, you know, why don't we decide I want to serve God with my life? Is this going to help me to serve God better or not? Now, I hit a couple of things here. Alcohol and drugs I talked about last night. Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Proverbs 23, uh, verse 31 says, Look not on the wine when it moveth itself aright, stir itself in the cup, so on. Hey, I'm not even supposed to look at it. How can I drink it? And uh, somebody said, well, I think you can be a Christian and still drink wine or beer once in a while. I, I suppose you can, but you're wrong when you do it. Somebody says, well, you know, you be a Christian, smoke cigarettes, yeah, and it'll help you get to heaven sooner. But it'll ruin your quality of life and make you less able to serve God because you won't have as much time to do it. I mean... I want to serve God with my life. And I want, to, I want to do things in my life that are going to maximize my ability to serve God. I want to use my, you know, that's the goal. Uh, alcohol, drugs, that kind of stuff, mess up your body, music. Ephesians 5.19 says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. I mean, that's the kind of songs we ought to be singing. And whether it's on your iPhone or your iPad or your car radio or whatever, I'll be listening to godly music. 
You listen to this rock and rap and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the music and the musicians both are promoting everything I'm against. So I know one that says he's a Christian. Well, maybe so. I don't know. But the majority of it is promoting everything I'm against. Some of it's probably neutral. I mean, you know, it's, it's not, you know, the words are not, if you look just at the words, words are not necessarily for God or anti-God, but a lot of it's anti-God. And a lot of it, you know, you listen to country, you listen to some of the modern country music, the rock music, the rap music. It's promoting drugs, immorality, violence, anti-Christian, anti-God, anti-everything we stand for. What business does a Christian have listening to that kind of stuff? Say, well, you know, I know one song on there that's pretty good. It even talks about God and Mama and the train and everything else. But to hear one song that isn't as bad as the others, you're going to listen to a bunch of stuff that's putting thoughts in your mind that are just, they're anti-God. It's not, you know, you sing Jingle Bells. That's not Christian. But it's not anti-God. You say, you know, but on the other hand, the the modern music today is the significant percentage of it is no good. You got a Christian has no business listening to that kind of garbage. And it's, you say, well, I can do it; it won't affect me. Sure, it will. You know, I was reared in a Lutheran home in a large public high school, Racine, Wisconsin, 700 my senior class. I was reared on Elvis and the Beatles and all that stuff. That was my... Yeah, I still remember those songs. You hear one play in some place, in a restaurant or something, and words come back to you right away. I don't listen to it anymore, but it's still in there. Quit when I was about 20 years old, 19 years old. Realized this isn't right. I'm going to serve God. I can't be listening to this junk. But the words are still in there. Music's still in there. You're listening to that stuff. It's going to stay with you. It's going to affect you. I've been Bible college work, working with young people a long time. One of the hardest things to get right with God on is your music. Because it keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps coming back. Talk a little bit about your appearance. Turn your Bible. I said I'd use more Bible. Turn your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Christian ought to be modest. Guys and girls. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Not with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. People look at you, they ought not be impressed with your clothes, they ought to be impressed with your good looks, and it certainly ought to be modest clothing. You know, I mean, drawn for anybody, man or woman, to dress immodestly. 
You ought to cover up your body and uh, mix through and say, well, I'm swimming now. It's okay. Why is it okay? Because you're on a place with sand and immodesty is immodesty. Well, there's water nearby. That makes it okay. Why? I'm supposed to be modest all the time. Proverbs 7 and verse 10 talks about the attire, met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. Look, if a harlot would wear it, you shouldn't wear it. I mean, there is some such a thing as the attire of a harlot. Some clothing is just wrong. If it displays the body in a way a harlot would display her body, then the Christian shouldn't wear it. Matthew 5, 27, 28. You want to turn over there? We're in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27, 28. See if I can find Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The Bible teaches a man shouldn't look at a woman and lust after her. Or the other way around. We toss out ladies, though, then you shouldn't dress to entice the man to look at you that way. I mean, woman shouldn't dress so she tempts the man to lust after her. If she does, I think according to the Bible, she's a participant in the sin because the Bible says, with her. He, is, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Girls, if you don't want it, Guys committing adultery with you in their heart, don't dress that way. So that's their problem. Well, don't add to it. Women shouldn't dress in a way that she's tempting. Guys, look, your clothing ought to hang loosely. Shouldn't be too sheer, too tight, too low, too short. First Peter 3 says, uh, who's adorning women, let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of the hair, wearing a gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in old time, holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being subject in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are. As long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Ladies and men, your attractiveness should not be your clothes, your appearance, your body, but it ought to be your spirit. Now, yeah, that's what the Bible says. Say, well, I don't, I just, I want to serve God. Say, well, if I dress like that, <clears throat> people will say he's different. That's okay. I am different. You know, I mean, I, I've been a Green Bay Packer fan all my life. Last year was really disappointing. I go to a Green Bay Packer fa- game. I wear green and gold. Somebody said, you know, Went to a Green Bay Packer game up in Cincinnati. It was a preseason game on a Saturday night or something like that. Wouldn't go on, you know, wouldn't go on Sundays. And uh, Cincinnati, I mean, 
Most people were in orange and black. Looked like Bengal tigers or something. Kind of dumb looking. Few of, just a few of us were coming in wearing green and gold. We were in the minority. We were away from home in a far country. But I still wanted to look like a Green Bay Packer fan. I didn't want anybody thinking, boy, I wonder if he's a Bengal fan. Horrible thought. I like go to University of Kentucky basketball games. Sometimes we play Louisville. I've been to a couple of UK Louisville games down at Rupp Arena. I go to you know, I mean, Kentucky's colors, blue and white. Man, I wear blue and white. Sure wouldn't wear red to watch Kentucky play Louisville. I wouldn't want anybody to think I was a Louisville fan. I won't be identified. What's wrong with somebody looking at me and saying, I think he's a Christian. I'm away from home. I'm in the minority. I still want to look like a Christian. I go visiting on bus routes. My wife and I visit on a bus route just about every Saturday we're in Lexington. I mean, the two of us go out personally, make visits on bus routes. Some of the neighborhoods we've been in here and other places, I mean, you know, not very good neighborhoods. Not people have thought, I think he's a preacher. You know, you knock on the door. I thought you were a preacher. Sometimes they say, oh, I thought you were an, a lawyer. Sometimes I've had a few, few say, oh, I thought you were a detective. Those three things they mistake me for out in those neighborhoods. Well, the preacher is not a mistake, I hope. You're saying, Brother Jorgensen, we're listening to you. It's a mistake. Uh but people think I look like a preacher, a lawyer, or a detective. Either way, they don't come up and offer me drugs. I stay out of a lot of trouble. They don't come up with me, to me with other bad offers. They figure I'm either a preacher, a lawyer, or a detective. <laughs> I'm glad I look that way. Well, you look different. I am different. I got something, I got a better life to offer them. I don't want to, I don't know. I want to look like a Christian. I, that's just it. Let me, let me preach a little bit on women wearing pants. Deuteronomy 22, 5 says, The women should not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. But if you just says, I just don't see any exceptions in there. Well, what about, what about, what about, what about? I don't see any exceptions. Neither shall a woman put on a man's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Guys, if you want to wear dresses, you shouldn't. Women, if you want to wear pants, you shouldn't. So, Brother Jordan I just, you know, not everybody agrees with that. Yeah, I know, but the Bible, look, it's not up to you and I. And sometimes we preach, or I, I hear preaching, and I probably said something like this in the past. You know, young people, you got to figure out for yourself what you believe. Don't go just on your parents' standards or your preacher's standards. You've got to figure out for yourself what you believe. 
And that's accurate in a sense, but in a sense it's almost misleading. Because it's not up to me to figure out what I believe or you to figure out what you believe or what, what I think is right and wrong or what you think. What I think is right and wrong doesn't matter. As far as that goes, what Brother Fugit thinks is right and wrong doesn't matter. What you teenagers out there think is right and wrong doesn't God made the decisions. Now, it's up to each of us to open the Bible and read it and study it and decide what God said is right and wrong. And if when you say you need to figure out for yourself what is right and wrong, if when you say that you mean you need to figure out for yourself what God said is right and wrong, then, you know, that's good. But it almost sounds like the philosophy of the world that there is no absolute right, there's no absolute wrong. You just all have to decide for yourself. And it could be right for you and wrong for you. Hey, God settled it. And, uh, you know, that's it. <clears throat> Somebody says, well, Brother Jorgensen, don't you know back in Bible days they all wore robes? There was, they all wore the same thing. That's stupid. I'm sorry, ignorant. Look, if they all wore the same thing, how could God have said to Moses, don't put on a woman's garment, tell women they shouldn't put on a men's garment? Moses would have looked back at God and said, God, I wrote that down, but it doesn't make any sense. We all wear the same thing. Obviously, they wore different things when that was written. Otherwise, the verse makes no sense. Again, Moses would have written it because God told him to write it, but he would have said, God, you know, can you give me further explanation? We all wear the same thing. This doesn't make sense. Clearly, they wore different things. So do you think God's changed his mind since then about men and women wearing each other's clothes? The Bible calls it an abomination. I mean, it doesn't just say it's wrong. It says all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Things that are an abomination called an abomination in the Bible are wrong at all times. The Bible doesn't talk about plowing with an ox, different animals together or putting different seeds in a, it doesn't call those abominations. Dietary laws are not called abominations. Wearing each other's garments called an abomination. Homosexuality is called an abomination. <clears throat> Things that are wrong at all times. Somebody says, well, you know, Brother Jorgensen, look, how do you decide whether or not a woman should wear pants? What does the Bible say? How does the Bible define men's dress and women's dress? The word breeches or britches occurs five times in the Bible. Every time it's talking about a man's garment that a priest would wear under his robe. Bible days, men wore pants with a tunic-type top over it. Came time for battle, they would gird up the tunic top, stuff it into the sash or girdle. It's a Bible word, kind of like a big sash we would wear. And men would gird up their robe, the shorter robe, to be ready for battle. It wouldn't get in the way. And they were instructed to do that. They were wearing pants with it. Women are never commanded to do that because they didn't wear pants with it. It's different. I, I mean, I think, you know, God's opinion. So I just think this, I think that. I think a woman shouldn't wear pants because 
The Bible commands her not to do so, I think because they're not modest. Certainly display the form of the body better than an appropriate dress would do. Somebody says, well, you know, don't you know some dresses are really immodest? Yeah, you shouldn't wear those either. I mean, you know, in fact, you can find a dress that may be more, may cover less of the body than a pair of pants would. Doesn't mean that it's okay to wear the dress either. I mean, you know, whiskey's worse than beer, somebody says. Well, that doesn't mean beer's okay. You know, this drug will kill you faster than that drug would if you get on it. Well, it doesn't mean the other one's okay. I mean, so he says, well, I can't do, you know, I enjoy and I can't do that wearing, wearing a dress. Then don't do it. I haven't found any verse in the Bible that commands you to go skydiving or rock climbing or play, you know, be a gymnast. Well, I couldn't be a gym on the gymnastics team if I wore a dress out there. I'd have to, I have to be immodest to be on. Well, then don't be on the gymnastics team. I don't know if there's anything in the Bible that says you're supposed to be a gymna- on the gymnastics team. But I do know verses in the Bible that say I'm supposed to be modest. So if I can't do it and be modest, then I can't do it. That's simple enough. Had a college girl put that on a, in a paper years ago. I thought, you know, that's good. If there's things I can't do and be modest doing it, then I just shouldn't do it. Say, but I enjoy it. Just because you enjoy it doesn't make it right. Some people enjoy getting drunk, but it's still a sin. Some people enjoy being immoral, but it's still a sin. I think a woman shouldn't wear pants because the Bible commands her not to do so because they're not modest. And because doing so is one more step in breaking down the distinctions between male and female, and God's not for that. Look, God created man, ma- mankind male and female. That's all He made. Didn't make anything else. And I'll talk to you about homosexuality a little bit. Turn your Bible to Romans chapter 1. I guess I'm going to wind up going a little longer than I thought, but I'll still. But I want to cover some of this. Somebody ought to tell you that homosexuality is a dirty, rotten, abominable sin. It's not an alternate lifestyle, and it's, a, it's an abominable lifestyle. Abominable, it's a horrible lifestyle. <laughs> Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Starts off in Romans 1.18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Okay, and he, so he's going to go on here then in verses 18 to 25 and talk about a lot of things that people do that are not right and result in the wrath of God. And they kept going after these things for, which, for this cause, verse 26 then, <clears throat> For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. Not normal affections, vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. 
Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward the other, men with men working that which is unseemly or unsuitable or inappropriate, wrong, and receive, <clears throat> receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. They got punished for it, and that was appropriate. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not, which are not convenient, appropriate. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, Without natural affection. There it is again. That without, what's the without natural affection? You know, God gave men a desire for women. That's a good, holy thing in the bonds of matrimony. It's good. That's a natural desire. God gave women a desire for men. That's a good, holy, natural desire to be fulfilled in the bonds of marriage. You got a woman lusting after a woman, that's not even natural. You got a man lusting after a man, that's not even, that's not normal. That's not a natural sin. I mean, the, the, the desire of a man for a woman, of a woman for a man is a, is a good desire. It just needs to be kept within the bonds of marriage. But you start talking about men with men, I mean, that's not even natural. According to the Bible, somebody says, well, on TV or in my public school, or they tell us all the time that some people are just born that way. That's not what God says. My, my, uh, so am I supposed to be God or you or your public school teacher? I mean, you just read it. It's not natural. Again and again, that says that in there. And we're so inundated or overwhelmed by the media and everybody telling us, oh, this is an alternate lifestyle. It's just like, you know, some people choose to be Kentucky fans. Some people choose to be Louisville fans. Some people are straight. Some people are... No! So they were just born that way. No! Monday, our daughter-in-law gave birth to our 10th grandchild. If you see my wife, she's got a few pictures she can show you. They told them, I don't remember, months ago. Baby was born Monday. They told them months ago, you're going to have a boy. And so they started thinking and preparing that way. How'd they know that? And say, well, Brother Jordan, they do ultrasounds or sonic or whatever. That, that's all since my day. And, and so they can tell these. I mean, you can see. I thought according to the world, you had to wait till you're 13, 15, 18 to figure out what's really inside you. How can they tell before they're born, but by the time they're 18, they don't know? (laughs) That makes sense. You know, God created male and female. The other is an abomination. Some maybe even talking some of you into thinking, well, I wonder if maybe I'm really a girl, if I'm really a boy. You are what you are. Figure it out. It's simple. 
Ask your mama what she told you in three, six months, three months, whatever it is before you were born. It's there. So some people have different desires. They have perverted desires according to the Word of God. And, I mean, it's... Look at now. Let's look at some Old Testament references here. Somebody says, "Well, it's just that passage in Romans." No, it isn't. Leviticus, chapter eighteen. Verse uh, twenty-two. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Not just a choice, it's a choice you make, but it's an abomination of a choice you make, according to the Word of God. Look over to Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 13. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. And it's worse than a sin, it's an abomination. They shall be put to death and their blood shall be upon them. I mean, so I just don't agree with that. Argue with God, don't argue with me. First Kings chapter 14, verse 24. Now we'll go ahead and turn to him. Take a couple more extra minutes. First Kings, they say 14. They got verse chapter 15 in there also. First Kings chapter 14, verse 24. And there were also Sodomites in the land. <clears throat> and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And you look in there, the passage, it's all these things that people were doing that were wrong and caused God to judge them. And sodomy is right in the middle of it. It's clearly, it's wrong. It's condemned again there in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 24. 1 Kings 15 and verse 12. He took away the Sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his father has made. I mean, these are bad things he's getting rid of. The Bible condemns it. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10, but more references in the New Testament. And you can find others, <clears throat> some of the ones I listed. For whoremongers. Now you look at verse 9, these are sinners and murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers or for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. That's homosexuality. For men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and so on. Hey, God's going to judge. 2 Timothy 3.3 3. Without natural, you know, again, men shall be lovers of their own selves, verse 2, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. This is a list of bad things. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. There it is again. Natural affection is a man for a woman, a woman for a man. That affection is good and holy and right. It's just to be kept to the bonds of marriage. The unnatural affection is the affection of a man for a man, a woman for a woman. It's an abomination according to the Word of God. 
So I don't agree with that. Again, homosexuality, sodomy, whatever you want to call it, is not an alternate lifestyle. It's an abomination. You know, some may get you to try and think, well, some born this way, some born that way, like some are born blonde, some are born, born with dark hair, some are born Spanish, some are born black, some are born white. No. It's a choice. It's a sin. It's an abominable sin. It's, it's just, I mean, it's just not right. I felt like it's someplace like this, somebody ought to stand up and say, it's wrong. Because we all hear so much on the television, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You know, he can't help it. Well, yeah, he can according to the Word of God. Now, sometimes you get addicted to sin. It's hard to get out of the sin. But it's a choice you make. And according to the Bible, I can get victory over any sin in my life just like you can get victory over sin in your life. So I committed a sin and I've done wrong. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I can make a choice to serve Him. Let's bow our heads for prayer.